Welcome back, everybody, to Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. You're going to have to forgive my voice, as many of you can probably relate to. I did some screaming this afternoon out of excitement, but I am not alone tonight. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, this is going to be one of the worst questions I've ever asked you. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Couldn't ask for a better Sunday, right? I mean, capped off by that beautiful... Beautiful Bills win. Sorry, I stumbled. I'm just so excited about this uh, episode we're going to record. I mean, it even started. Shout out to Liverpool real quick. Just I know this is a football podcast, but Liverpool beating Man City. What are you doing, Luca? <laughs> but it started out good. That's what I want to point out. The day started out good and then was just a absolute masterpiece and so perfect to end because the game we will be diving into today, the Bills Chiefs game, just couldn't have ended any better than it did. I I think we can all agree on that, right? Yeah. And the thing about this is, is I I think we definitely on the last episode, Luca put it perfectly. Look, this is a week six game. There was no Super Bowl trophy that was going to be handed out tonight. And there are certainly paths to tonight, even though the Bills win, um, that the Bills could still end up going back to Arrowhead in the playoffs. We saw that play out last year where the Bills actually won decisively in Arrowhead around the same mark. I think it was either it was week five last year. And then they still ended up going to Arrowhead because they dropped some games late in the year. But all of that being said, this entire offseason, this entire time that the Bills were the betting favorites in the NFL and in Vegas, getting Von Miller, going out and keeping this offense together, this this last year where Josh Allen is on his quote-unquote rookie deal, and it was all for getting home field advantage, getting the one seed, in the AFC. And when you look at that, that certainly comes down to, you know, the, the NFL season being a marathon, not a sprint. No singular game is probably going to decide that. But if you were going to pinpoint one game on the Bills schedule that they needed to win, it was this game at Arrowhead, the site that their season had ended two years in a row in the playoffs. And they got it done 24 to 20. Josh Allen finds Dawson Knox to take the lead. What a beautiful moment for him and his family. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then Taron Johnson closing out the game with a beautiful interception that I'm sure Luca will help talk us through what actually the X's and O's look like on that play. But Luca, we've been doing this every postgame show. I've mixed it up a little bit based on the game. Um, You know, for the most part, I ask you, how do you feel when the game ended? And then last week, the Bills won 38 to three against Pittsburgh. So it was more of like, hey, were you ever worried? I'm going to mix it up a little bit this week, too. I'm not going to ask you how you felt with the, when the game ended. I feel like that's redundant. We all felt excellent. But how were you feeling, Luca, right after Dawson Knox scores the touchdown? The Bills make the extra point, Tyler Bass, 24 to 20. And here comes Patrick Mahomes onto the field needing a touchdown to break our hearts once again. How are you feeling? I think I'm in a minority potentially in this, but there was a different level level of confidence going into that. And I'll say this, we're going to probably mention it a little bit more later. I don't know, but when, when Dawson Knox catches that touchdown jubilation, just, Joy standing up, high-fiving all the guys in the living room. Everyone were very, very excited. On top of that, it's realizing there was uh, just over a minute left in the game. And yes, Mahomes is going to be back on the field. 
But the last time we saw Mahomes on that field, three and out, Vaughn with a key sack, you know, it was, it was like Mahomes should have already put us in a position that was even worse than what it was to get that go-ahead touchdown. And it didn't happen because the defense already stepped up. So in a weird way, it wasn't like that playoff game or any other of these Kansas City games where as the game progressed, as the late drives were happening, Mahomes was really taking it to us and really putting us in tough positions that we had to overcome. No, we were able to create something to get the ball back and then go up late. And so where I'm getting at with this is the living room that I was sitting in, I can tell you the vast majority were like, there's still a minute left. It's Patrick Mahomes. Yes, I agree with that. But there was an odd feeling. And this is, I think the season has brought us to a point and it's going to get even worse or better, however you look at it, where I was still confident. I was very confident that this defensive unit was going to get the job done, however it needed to, whether it was going to be bend, don't break, or just the quick hitter, which is thankfully what ended up happening, but just do whatever they need to do to close this out because an individual you have already dropped the name of, and I even mentioned already, was now on this team. And he even was quoted and saying right after that game, I don't have a memory of what happened last year. I, you know, it may be bad or so, but I know what happened tonight. And I, I'm pretty sure I butchered that quote, but essentially it gets the, gets the point across where he was brought here. He wasn't here last year. He was brought here to do one thing and one thing only, and that's be the closer. It was brought up during the broadcast by Romo and Nance. It's been brought up in the past. We've said it. Every national media person says it. Every fan outside of this recording studio that we are you know, in, both of our offices, uh, we understand. Von Miller is the closer. And because of that, I just I didn't feel like Mahomes was a guarantee to do a Mahomes thing. It wasn't going to be the Mahomes we saw last week on Monday night against the Raiders. It wasn't going to be the Mahomes we have known for all these years. He was going to really have to earn it. He was really going to have to go at it and make it happen. And luckily for us, that didn't happen. And the big boys and the closer himself, Von Miller, and the rest of that defense stepped up and closed out that game effectively three plays in or two plays in. I can't even remember how many plays it was at this point. It was very quick. Three plays. Thank you so much. Good shout out. Um, three plays, got it done, took a couple delayed kneels to get it finished and everything like that. But just, I was confident. I was, I, there was a, a weird sense of confidence that I honestly don't think I've ever had. Like even last year's divisional game, the infamous game of the X number of seconds that we don't need to bring up anymore. We have finally exercised those demons, I feel like, until playoff time. And even then, I was worried that something could have still happened just because of how the game was progressing. This is a different Bills team. This is a different just 1-53 to that are going out there and just taking care of business. And Von Miller... With the rest of that defense, I just want to keep saying that because it's not just Von Miller that made it happen, but he is that difference that now has been able to make this thing a complete closer, close it out, get it done, get the win, come back to Orchard Park, and now we here sit here five and one, thankfully, because Knox gets that go ahead and the defense does their job late to close it out and get that win. I'm with you. Uh, so I was cautiously optimistic. And I, I misspoke. I'm looking at CBS Sports, and I, I was the one flashing you the three fingers. It was actually two. They they count the kickoff in there sometimes. Uh -huh. Oh, there's three plays. What's funny about that, Luca, 
that that last drive by Kansas City lasted 13 seconds. No, it's amazing. Beautiful. Love Just it. So you, you hate to see it. It breaks your heart. Um, so I was cautiously optimistic and I did this thing in my head where so the Bills score and you know, I, you know, I was excited. I I, I let like a fist pump and kind of like a grunt, but I certainly was not how I was last year when Gabe Davis scored the go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds to go, where I assumed it was over. Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a bad man. And um, just so you folks know, like we're on the bye week, we're going to bring back Stokes and we're going to have a little bit of a round table. But I'll tell you, like I, I messaged Stokes after the game, kind of asked him a similar question. And, and his response was like, the Chiefs really haven't shown us they can get those chunk plays on us this game. So, you know, in that spot needing a touchdown, um, I will say the fact that they needed a touchdown made me feel better because that's just even with Patrick Mahomes, even with Travis Kelsey, that's a lot to ask, even with two timeouts um, to go on a defense like this on the Bills. That's very well coached up. So I felt good, um, but I certainly wasn't like, oh, it's home. Um, and then they get the interception, Luca, and I kind of want to focus on that play now before we have a larger conversation about the defense, because even though this game at the time we're recording only ended like an hour and a half ago, um, you were able to see a breakdown on that last play of the game. So what did you see? What, what was it about the way not only the secondary played, but the way what the defensive line was coached up to do that made that play happen that allowed Taron Johnson to get that interception? Yeah. So just first and foremost, just to give credit where credit is due, the first video I saw out there was an excellent breakdown of that interception play by hopefully I'm not butchering this. People butcher my name all the time, so I understand. But Benjamin Solak on Twitter and what he basically highlighted was a couple things. So all game, and I'm sure every Bills fan knows this because there are plenty of times that even myself was sitting there going, man, Vaughn is just committing so hard to the outside. And he just kept pushing that outside, 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 just constantly. Well, credit to Leslie Frazier, because this may have been by design the whole game. I don't know. Maybe he just highlighted this and just had to just tell Vaughn, hey, this is the one time I need you to do something else. But essentially, based on the look and everything that was going on on that last uh, play where we got the interception, he tells Vaughn to essentially take that outside step, but then take the step inside and get inside and make that move to disrupt the pocket in a different way, where then Milano, which also by the by the way, just second half adjustment, Milano spying Mahomes the entire second half changed a lot with what we saw. As soon as Milano noticed that Vaughn's pressure is pushing Mahomes out to his own right, that's when Milano needs to attack to force Mahomes to essentially make a decision. And this is the other part of this whole design. So pre-snap, what Solak pointed out was on the right side of the Bills defense, you have two individuals playing man coverage. They're just manned up. I want to say it was Kelsey and I can't remember the other individual. They're manned up. To the left, you have a deep safety, you know, your outside corner, Taron Johnson. And I think that was it. Maybe Tremaine was in there somewhere on the left side. I can't remember where Tremaine was here. But anyways, they're playing a cover two zone. So you essentially have a mix. You have man zone. And because they also designed the rush and Milano to force Mahomes out to his own right, that is going towards our left side of the defense. As long as the cover two zones do their jobs properly, which again, let's shout out Christian Benford for this. He kind of makes a key decision on when to stay with his guy off the line and then pass him off to the deep coverage, who was MVS, just kind of running a go route. Because he makes that exchange, Juju comes down and gets taken care of 
in his own zone after he handed it off MVS, that opens up the opportunity for the curl zone, Taron Johnson, to kind of attack whatever he sees because Mahomes is going to be forced to look something in that direction. And as soon as you see Sky Moore coming over, Taron Johnson is kind of recognizing that as the odd man out in this situation or what Mahomes may view to be open at the time of the throw. And Taron Johnson just makes an unbelievable break on it, gets the game ceiling interception, and GG, let's have a good day here. Like that play design, everything that came into it from pre-snap to understanding your job to get execution and making the turnover happen. Leslie Frazier deserves all the credit in the world for that. That was clear design. That was everything about that play was not luck. It wasn't just one individual making an amazing play. I'm not saying Taron Johnson didn't make a great play. What I'm saying is that opportunity was there because all individuals on the defensive side of the ball did their jobs perfectly. And again, I don't know if Vaughn just kind of taking the outside almost all the time and really over pursuing that edge was by design. And he like, it was almost like they maybe wanted to save this look for late in the game at some key point. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but ultimately that instruction to kind of have Vaughn disrupt the inside of the pocket and force Mahomes out to his right and then go into the coverage that we kind of are trapping him in. Just absolute chef's kiss. Wonderful. Again, shout out to shout out to Benjamin Solak for tweeting that out. I'm pretty sure he was the first one to really put it out there and break it down. I even saw just for him to pump his, you know, if he wants to feel good, if he's even listening to this. What's up, Ben? Uh, yeah. Uh, Sunday night football at halftime does this exact same breakdown. I don't know if they just saw his video of breaking it down through the highlight video that he just basically copied and dubbed over, but Spot on. That's exactly what happened. Every defensive mind in around football will see that. We'll see the all 22 and understand exactly what happened there. And Leslie Frazier, cap off to you, man. That was just the perfect play call at the perfect time with the perfect look to get this game done and dusted. It was unbelievable. And just oh, thank you, everyone on that defensive staff and on the defensive side of the ball to just secure the dub in Kansas City. Yeah, it was a great moment and it was a domino effect, right? So the way you're describing it, um, when you get a, when you get a Von Miller, so it's a chess match, right? So the chiefs, they have made the decision that we are not going to let Von Miller beat us at the end of the game. The bills know when you have a dude like that, a guy who is head and shoulders, the best guy on that front, they know that double team is going to be there. You would do the same thing for a JJ Watt. You would do the same thing for uh, Khalil Mack in his prime for uh, Chase Young. You know, the elite players, the bills know that they scheme around the double team and drop this great, essentially, essentially like um, a, conf- a way to confuse the offensive line, essentially like a stunt that throws Mahomes off and allows just a, a, a fragment of time for Taron Johnson to break on. This was a defensive game for me. I know I know the story is going to be Josh Allen. Josh Allen was excellent. We will absolutely get into all that. But to me, Luca, this game was about the Bills' defense. And I used to love growing up listening to John Madden um, because he had this thing about running games. And he would always say, like, look, I don't care if you lead the league in rushing. I don't care if you're, you know, if you rush for 100 yards every game. A good running team to me is a team that with four minutes left in the lead can get a couple of first downs and never give the ball back. And I look at that the same thing about defense. To me, 
elite defense is not, oh, we led the league in in yards against, or we led the league in points against, because there's a lot of things baked into that, our turnovers. There's a lot of things baked into that. Like, did you play the Falcons and the Panthers and Washington? Because maybe that helps you keep your points down. Houston, the Bills last year. Or to me, elite defense is when you're at Arrowhead, you're facing Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And the first drive of the game, your offense is driving down like a hot knife through butter. And they have a fumble play that Josh Allen is trying to pitch it to Isaiah McKenzie. And he's not even ready for it. And they just throw away points. And then another drive in the first half, Allen hits McKenzie in the hands and he drops a touchdown pass. And then they go for another fourth down and they, they, the chiefs just time their blitz perfectly. Allen can't get a clean pass off. Um, to me, Elite defense is not about leading the league in yardage and points. Elite defense is in that spot at Arrowhead against that dude at quarterback, keeping your team in the game when chaos is happening to your offense. And this defense did that time and time again. There was ample opportunity, Luca, for this game to either A, get out of hand early, or B, resemble the Baltimore game where maybe they get a big lead and the Bills have to crawl back like they did in the Baltimore game. But time and time again, this defense answered the bell, got the Bills out of tough situations that the offense put them in, kept them in a game, and allowed what I think was clearly the better team to come away with a win. And to me, I leave this game. I know Josh Allen's excellent. I don't have any doubts about that. We can have an Allen conversation against Patrick Mahomes. Spoiler alert, we're going to later in this episode. But the thing I come away from is Brandon Bean built this defense with this particular opponent in mind. And today, Luca, they passed with flying colors. 1000%. Yes, absolutely. I, I think your point on what makes an elite defense an elite defense is a great one. I think sometimes it's a little bit of misconstrued or just misunderstood out there. You know, it, it, statistics are everything, right? And especially for the baseball community out there, you know, statistics are everything. It's like sometimes things can't be put down in ones and zeros and stats. Like it just can't happen. And what you said about what time, what big time defenses do, what, you know, elite defenses do are just come up with big plays when they need to. And that's what this team did. It, it all comes. You pointed out the first drive. Like, unfortunately, there's a run option situation. Allen waits until the very last second to pitch, which is a pretty standard thing. McKenzie's not ready for it. Whose fault is it is neither here or there. Unfortunately, that thing happens and and Bills fans and just the sideline could even just be like, damn, dude, as you pointed out, that points left off the board like that drive was going so well. And to have it end in that way was just so frustrating. The defense comes out and they let Kansas City kind of drive down They're They're moving the ball. Kansas City is moving the ball just as well as the Bills did on that opening drive. And it comes down to crunch time when your backs to the end zone and Kyrie Elam. Oh, geez, I just rolled through that. Just the, you know, adrenaline. Kyer Elam comes up, has a bad, awful week we talked about last week. And on the first drive against, and his, he's a rookie. Let's just, everyone knows it, but he's a rookie. First drive after a bad game in Arrowhead against Mahomes. Gets a key interception to also make sure Kansas City's open drive ends in zero points. Massive. Like, that's the kind of play that a big-time defense needs to step up and show why they are one of the league-best units out there. And it's from anyone. It could be DeMar Hamlin. It could be whoever it is. If you are out there, you need to show why this unit as a whole, and like I kept saying earlier, Vaughn and the team defense, like, 
that unit needs to show why they have been coached for so many years by Leslie Frazier and McDermott to be a top tier defense. And they proved it time and time again in this game that they are one of those units that can kind of hold anyone at bay and keep this team that may or may not struggling, be struggling, I should say, in the game so that they can have that opportunity in the end to win it, which this game is an absolute Mona Lisa perfect picture of what that is a defense bend don't break keep your game keep your team in it make sure your offense has the opportunity to make plays and get this game for you by not letting it slip away just don't let it slip away and they did they came up huge every time it may have seemed like it was teetering on the point of this is where Kansas City pulls away this is where this team and Mahomes is really going to kind of establish their foot on our throats and just kind of lock us up. The defense really did come up and make a statement and saying, this is not how this story is going to end. We're going to make sure this story ends with a say that we have. And that's just all the credit to everyone on the defensive side of the ball. And it's just so exciting. It's the, my adrenaline is pumping right now because it's just, it was an entire team effort. Like there's always that cliche, like in McDermott is of course, one of those guys, it's a team effort. It's everyone in here. It's the coaching staff. It's the personnel. It's everyone in this organization that made that win possible. This game was a complete game. And that's why I'm with you. I think this is this Josh Allen is Josh Allen, but this game should be viewed as the defense really stepped up. Let's always just keep reminding ourselves. I mean, Christian Benford's out there with a broken hand. Um, what you call it? No Micah Hyde still. So you got DeMar Hamlin playing serious minutes. I mean, Cam Lewis and Syrian Neal had to play legitimate snaps in this game. And look, it may have not been pretty at times, but they got the job done ultimately in the end. They made sure this team was still in it and the offense could do what we know they can do and just finally get a timely score and lock, just essentially get the lead and then they will lock it up. It's done. It's over with history. That's what happened. Complete game top to bottom, everything. Also, just by the way, I just want to throw this to you real quick because I'm sure we're going to move on in a second. Have you noticed that the defense was wearing all red gloves today and yet we still got called for a lot of holdings? <laughs> That's like, that. I did not notice that. That's really sharp, though. That, I like so it. they officially McDermott has gone to the school of Bill Belichick. I have noticed it all season long, and this was the game that really solidified it because the Bills do not generally wear red gloves, okay, people? Like, that is not a common color that you will see DBs wearing and linebackers wearing. Even some of the D-line was wearing red gloves. But every player on the defensive side of the ball today was wearing red gloves. The classic Bill Belichick move is always wear gloves that match the color of your opposition opposition's jerseys. So you wear white at home at always, and then if you're on the road, you get a red or a blue or whatever's closest because it makes it harder to see those things. And yet, still somehow... These dang refs not complaining about it, but they were still seeing the holds. And I just wanted to point that out because that's how that's how much detail and how much they care about this defense and how much effort everyone puts in. It's like, look, you may want to look good even with something that you wear. Nah, wear red because they're wearing red jerseys. Hopefully it's going to help you. And honestly, it was all a lot of early holding calls. I didn't see any late. And we all know holding happens on every play. Like right. it happens every time. Late though, really make a ref call a holding like force their hand and by literally having red on your hands it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to distinguish if you are holding them or not just wanted to throw that out there because i pointed it out earlier in the game mcdermott has officially gone to that school and i love it it's that is 
that is the kind of attention to detail that big time teams need to have because it is just so it's one of those things that's so painfully obvious that you should do. And yet somehow teams still don't do that, that it's what I've always respected about Bill Belichick, even though we all hate him. I've respected about that because like you need to have that level of that level of attention to detail in order to really make high steps and just get everything done as best as you possibly can. And uh, credit to Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. They also attend that school and I'm glad they do. So we're leading with the defense. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up some points here on the defense before we start focusing back on the offense, Von Miller's day, two sacks. And then he also had the play at the end there where he forced the rush throw from Mahomes. But what I like is his sacks, much like in the first game against the Rams were timely. His, his second sack came with six minutes and 19 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. And it was after the drive that the bills ended up having to punt. I'm sure you remember this. If you watched it, where on third down, Chris Jones extends his leg. Josh Allen gets tripped. The refs don't call it. That should have been a 15-yard personal foul penalty. The Bills should drive should have kept going. It felt like it's potential the Bills were unraveling a little bit at that particular point, and the defense absolutely answered with, with a sack and got the Bills back on the field for what would end up being their go-ahead drive that we'll get to in a second. Matt Milano all over the field today. I had a thought here, Luca, and I don't know, you know, this might sound silly, but if you were somebody who just started watching the Bills this year with no idea who these players were or what their previous track record was, there's a world you could live in where you think Matt Milano is the best player on the defense. Like, that's how good he has been playing this year. And I get that Von Miller has been excellent. And Jordan Poyer, up until today, was averaging an interception in every single game. We are going to talk about Jordan Poyer being an absolute legend in a second. But Matt Milano is just he's he's all over the field. He's great in coverage and he is an open field tackling machine. He had one missed tackle today. I saw somebody passing it around Twitter like what is Milano doing? But it seems like Milano is making sure tackles. He seems like he's playing at a different speed this year. Um, Another guy I want to point out, Shaq Lawson. I think Shaq Lawson is going to be one of those players that maybe he didn't pop to you watching this game. Um, just like watching it as a fan. But I think once Eric Turner yards per pass, the guy, Joe Biscalia, the guys who go in and watch all 22, you know, we'll dabble in that a little bit. We don't really put stuff on Twitter, but you know, we do it to help us form our opinions. You are going to see a lot of Shaq Lawson rushing off of the right side in a very key role. There are stats out there that you cannot let Mahomes escape the pocket to his right and Shaq Lawson had such a clear pass rush plan of I am not going to let Mahomes escape to his right, no matter what. And that was it, it started there. And then you saw them go to Milano on the spy. It was a great plan. Lawson, I think his his snap count is going to surprise some folks. Um, I, I I would venture to say that I just did three eyes in a row. I, 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 I would venture to say that he's probably going to be similar to Greg Rousseau in the snap counts. I love that Shaq Lawson. You know, he's not an elite pass rusher, did have a sack today. He has a great feel for the run game. And in a game like this, when you can't let the quarterback get loose, he did really well with that. Um, really quickly on Jordan Poyer, though. My gosh, the story came out after the game that with his rib injury, he is not clear to fly. So to get to the game, he drove 
what was it? Luca, was it nine hours or 15 hours? I'm, I'm getting mixed up here, but no, he, it was, it was double digits. It was, I want to say it said 15 hours, but I okay. don't have it in front of me. 15 hours from Buffalo to Kansas city, just to be at the game. Now think about that. This is a guy in the last year of his deal, injured ribs by week next week, every excuse in the world, not cleared to fly to just take the week off. None of us would have thought anything of it if Sean McDermott comes out Friday and says, "Look, we just didn't get we didn't get Poyer cleared." It is what it is. Players don't get cleared. Nobody would have thought anything of it. This guy went out of his way to be with his teammates in this mega game. He is an absolute legend, Luca. I think we had a little bit of a conversation before this season started about can Hyde and Poyer both wind up on the Wall of Fame? You know, maybe you need one of those two to like make a really in- impactful play on a Super Bowl run, like in a playoff game that leads to the Bills going to the Super Bowl. Hyde obviously had the big interception last year in the Patriots game. I think they're both destined for the Wall of Fame. But to me, Jordan Poyer was already a legend. But for this game in this spot, for him to do that, I mean, that's a story we're going to be talking about 20 years from now. Yeah, Jordan Poyer is really stepping up. We had that discussion a couple weeks ago against Baltimore, and um, we've had a discussion even before the season about where we stand on Jordan Poyer. And what I will say is I don't want to recap everything. If you want to hear what we have, I have it even highlighted in previous episodes. But Jordan Poyer is essentially trending up so high that I think Jordan Poyer, I forever will love my man, number 23, you know, Micah Hyde. But Jordan Poyer is trending up so high right now that if you had to be like, hey, choose one or the other to be on the Wall of Fame, I am officially on Jordan Poyer's on the Wall of Fame over Micah Hyde. It seems like a recency bias a little bit, but also, I mean, I love Micah. He may have never even really had the opportunity to step up in his own spotlight just because it's been him and Poyer for their entire duo here in Buffalo. But Poyer now has this opportunity where it's it's him. And, you know, I'm not hating on DeMar Hamlin. We both, you and I, like DeMar Hamlin and everything, but he's he's the only all pro that's playing, you know, for the, as a safety for the Bills. and. He is stepping up huge. And even in a year where he feels like he's underappreciated financially, like I want to point this one out. We went into this year knowing that he's unhappy with the money. He wants his money. And we both agree that all players should get all the money that they can. And we talked about it in the preseason. Do we let Poyer walk to get his money if, we, if it costs a lot or do we pay him? He has done such an excellent job that you know, you said this off air and I'm going to give you credit to it. Like he's now like, Hey man, this guy's got to retire to bill like both for this kind of reason right here, where the commitment to a team that still doesn't give you the finances you think you're worth of driving 15 hours to Kansas city because you cannot fly with your rib and what seems to be also a lung issue. I forget the official term that uh, his lady, Rachel Bush tweeted out, but there's clearly something there that she sent out. Um, but the commitment to still make it happen for this team because he understands what the goal is for this season and how big this game could be in achieving that goal. Just holy crap, Poyer. Like you are you like legend, like as you put it, just an absolute, just unbelievable legend move right there to still be committed. Look, like, hey, finances and off the field and all that stuff aside. I am here for this team. I am here for all the guys in that locker room. I am here for McDermott. I am here for it all. And this is what I'm going to give you with 
a fractured lung or, or fractured rib issue of some variety, a lung problem. He's got the elbow problem. Like uh, someone in my living room said, you know, it's going to be so nice when Trey White's back and Jordan Poyer gets to hundred percent. And I looked at it. And I was like, I don't think Jordan Poyer is ever getting to a hundred percent this season. Like the amount one, the amount of injuries that are stacking up and two, what the injuries are. I don't think those are things that you will get to hundred percent at any point during this immediate season. Hopefully by next season, he's good, but he, this is going to be stuff that he's going to deal with for the rest of the year. And he is making it happen through all of this. And it's just, yeah, we, he should probably retire a bill. Like, I don't want the recency bias to really creep in here. And I don't want to sound like that, but man, he's doing such an amazing job to show how much he cares about ball, how much he cares about the guys in the locker room. Like if that C wasn't enough to show you how much he means to his team and what he values that as, as a team captain, just what he does and what lengths he goes to for this organization. Yeah. Jordan Poyer deserves every accolade he gets. We gave him so many for the, Baltimore game and stepping up at big times there. I foresee a McAfee interview again in his near future because I, that story just got put out and what he just gave this bills team. Like he is one of the guys of this team, not even just defense. Like he is one of the guys. Like if anyone in that locker room cannot respect that at the highest of value, then they probably shouldn't be on this team because that is just unbelievable commitment to making sure we can get this thing locked up in a big time game. Yes, it's a week six game as we, I just like, I'd like to bring it back a little bit here. Like, yes, it's a week six game, but we know what that win does for us at the long, you know, at the end of the tunnel here of the regular season and going into the playoffs. And he did everything in his power to help this team out as best as he could. And man, just props to you, Jordan Poyer. I, I can tell you right now, look, I, I like to value myself as a little bit of a tough guy. There is no chance in hell I am doing anything, anything athletically, even for money with fractured ribs, a lung issue and a bad elbow all wrapped in one as you try to run yourself into a train wreck play after play after play. Just just props, man. You're a dog like Jordan Poyer is a dog. That is unbelievable. And for those who don't know, like players, they get paid even if they don't play. So it's not like Poyer had to show up to get a game check today. So uh, Tim Graham from The Athletic uh, tweeted out earlier tonight that, or Sunday night, excuse me, I know you're listening to this on Monday. Bill Source tells me, this is direct quote of Tim Graham's tweet, Bill Source t tells me rented uh, the team rented a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van to take Jordan Poyer and his family from Buffalo to Kansas City for the game. The condition that prevented Poyer from flying was still healing, which is pneumonia thorax. In parentheses, he has a collapsed lung from his rib injury from two weeks ago. Wild, crazy, crazy. Jordan Poyer, <clears throat> you are the man. My voice is starting to give out from the uh, the screaming I did after that Taron Johnson interception. So we've talked a lot about the defense, Luca. Let's spin it around and talk about the offense. Let's first of all just go through some stats. Josh Allen's day, 329 yards passing, three touchdown passes. Devin Singletary, very nice on the ground. 17 carries, 85 yards, five recept or I'm sorry, five targets, four receptions, 22 yards in the passing game. What we got though was something we have not had yet is a Stefan Diggs day against the Chiefs. 10 receptions, 148 yards, and a touchdown. 
Gabe Davis with three receptions for 74 and a touchdown. He loves playing against the Chiefs. And then Dawson Knox, three for 37 and touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown that gave the Bills that 24 to 20 lead. All right, Luca, let's talk about how the Bills got the lead because that drive did not come easy. There was a fourth down play that, to me, was one of the cooler quarterback sneaks you'll ever see. Gabe Davis comes in motion and then motions back right behind Josh Allen as he snaps it and then essentially runs up and pushes him forward. I love the design of that. Even Tony Romo was gushing about it. There was a big play to Diggs. There was another Josh Allen hurdle. And Luca, as that drive's going on, you your mind can go in multiple different ways. So the Bills on that drive, they went 76 yards in 12 plays, and they had the ball for four minutes and 27 seconds. So when they took over on that drive, it was first and 10 at their own 24-yard line with five minutes and 31 seconds left. Bills were down by three. At a certain point, the Bills, after um, they get into Kansas City territory, with about two minutes and 14 seconds left. So it gets to be a certain point where you're thinking, okay, now what do you want to do? Do you want to manage the clock and kind of slow it down here? Or the fact that you're only down by three, do you just want to, if you can get in the end zone, get in the end zone? Because if you score a touchdown on this drive, the Chiefs then have to answer back with a touchdown. A field goal doesn't do anything for the Chiefs uh, in that scenario. As the Bills are driving down, Luca. Are you at all thinking about the clock? Are you at all thinking about slow it down? Don't leave a lot of time for Mahomes. I will raise my hand and tell you I wasn't in that scenario. I just want my team to get the four point lead. If it's a situation where um, you need a touchdown, like if it's just so the Bills had options on that drive, they could have ended up with a field goal and tied the game, or they could have scored a touchdown to get a four point lead. If the Bills are trailing by four there or more, and the end goal is obvious. A field goal doesn't do them any good. They have to get a touchdown. I'm a little bit more interested in playing the clock in that scenario because one, you're going to go for it on fourth downs. Um, you know what you have to get out of this drive. But to me, the Bills ha having a three-point deficit where they also, the drive could end in a field goal, and that's really bad news for the Bills. To me, if you have a shot for a touchdown, you take it because you have to just trust your defense in that spot to keep Mahomes and the Chiefs out of the end zone with however much time they have left. So I know there was a lot of popular conversation on Twitter about, oh, they don't want to score too fast. They don't want to score too fast. I didn't think about that at all. I was just like, get the touchdown and play defense. Where were you at on that drive? I'm with you. I'm, I'm actually, I will say this. I'm, I'm a little surprised. So we didn't note this. I didn't know your feelings on this. I didn't even know this topic was going to be the next one coming up. But I am surprised a little bit that you were kind of get your points, take the four point lead. You know, I'm, it's not that you're not concerned about the clock, but it's not the, you know, first or even second thing on your mind. It's, it's kind of a, we'll get to that issue. We'll call it when you get to it, right? You take that lead, you get the points and then deal with whatever the time situation is. Once you know what it is in front of you. And that's where my, that's where I was at 1000%. I don't care if you left a minute 30. I don't care if you met left a minute two, whatever it may have been, which just for the record, an individual in my living room was surprised. I'm not surprised only in the sense of it's Andy Reid and he seems to have poor time management skills. 
but was surprised that Andy Reid did not call a timeout right before that Knox touchdown, and they let the clock bleed 30-something seconds and then had that touchdown occur. They could have easily gotten this ball back if they used one of their timeouts when it was first and 10 or whatever play it was, and there was a minute 41 left, I want to say it was at, at that point in time. They could have had so much more time and probably not feel just as rushed as maybe they were with a minute left. That's, you know, it's my new thing. It's a small thing. It's only 40 seconds, but 40 seconds can mean a lot. We know how much less time can mean. So it was just a little surprising when all of that went down and Knox scores with a minute four left and all of that stuff happens. I was not concerned with time at all. Take your touchdown if you can get it. Get your points. If you get the four-point lead, that's awesome. I think it would be a little different if it was only to grab a three-point lead in the sense of this. like. I know you need a touchdown because obviously you're down four in that scenario, kind of like there could be other things going on, but let's say most likely you're down four. If you would take a three point lead with a touchdown, that's where maybe time comes into play because you're, you're really not trying to, or at least it is a little more forward on your brain because now that field goal is in play for them to come back down. Whereas that touchdown and extra point, which hopefully you get gets that four point lead. And now both sides know exactly what you need to do. They need to go down and get a touchdown. As you pointed out, a field goal does absolutely nothing for them. So it was beautiful. It, it, it was, I don't care about time. I don't care that it was a minute four and maybe we could have left them with less time. Like that's kind of also what bleeds into what I discussed earlier. I also had that confidence that the defense in that position would be able to get the job done. Whereas maybe last year or years before, I wasn't quite as comfortable, even, even how good this is kind of funny. It's wrapping up other points you've made earlier, or I have made like we were statistically the best defense last year, but then all of a sudden, how does Kansas city put up the amount of points that they do us on us in the playoffs and stuff like that? It's because they weren't that defense that you really truly a hundred percent could trust to step up and at least make plays or get that into the, get themselves into the position to lock the game down. Last year, whenever we came up against big teams, for the most part, in big play like opportunities, Tampa Bay, Kansas City in the playoffs, whatever it may be, they didn't make that play all the time. And this year, honestly, I don't remember any game, even our one loss in Miami, where the defense didn't at least keep it close, as you even mentioned earlier, and get us in the position to make the win happen. They were always doing their job. We are hurt still. You know, obviously we're in better health than we were a couple of weeks ago, but we're still hurt, you know, around the defensive side of the ball. And they continue to just do their job, make things happen and keep us in this game. If not, lock it down and get us the win. That is exactly why when that happens, I don't care what time is left. And this offense, just get your touchdown when the opportunity is there, because I and I'm sure the coaching staff and everyone else also felt this way was like. The defense will get things done no matter the time left on the clock. Just get the score. Get the you want the lead. Lead is the most important thing. Obviously, it's hard. It's hard to win football games when you don't have a lead, Josh. I don't know if you know this. It's a crazy thought. Like you need a lead. So let's the focus math on checks lead. out there, Luca. I just did the math right. for you. Yeah. If we were talking, you know, twenty seconds, and now it's like, okay, don't do anything too risky because you have the field goal in that position, seemingly there. Like you, you have at least an attempt at it, but with a minute 40 left and then a minute four when we end up scoring, like, no, 
you have the opportunity to get a touchdown, get the touchdown, take the lead. Let's trust our defense to hopefully do their job and lock this thing up. And that's a, luckily for all of us, that's exactly what happened. And it was a beautiful thing. Not once was I concerned about the clock. I'm actually surprised there was a debate about that on Twitter. I know you had way more of an ear to ground than that. We've discussed you're the Twitter guy, you know, especially during games. I am not. I put my phone and everything away. That's why when I open my phone, thanks to you and everyone else in this world, I have about a billion notifications and I'm like, okay, let's see, you know, let's get out of my house bubble here and see what the heck was going on. I'm, I'm a little surprised that people were concerned about the clock at all. It's like, let's get the lead. We're in Arrowhead. This is a massive game. Who cares how much time is left? Let's, let's make them have to make the plays to get back in the game because we're the ones with the lead. Who cares about the time? It's under the two minute, right? Once you're under the two minute warning, I think that's the like line, you know, it's a nice sweet line that everyone knows when the two minute warning comes generally around two minutes. And that's when it's like, take the lead and just hopefully you can make plays. however it happens, like just get it done. That's where my head was at. Well, you brought up Twitter let's take a break from our, uh, our podcast. Well, we're going to have to take a break from the podcast. Let's take a break from our post game show and interact with some of our followers on Twitter because we put up the post, sum up the game in one tweet. Here's some of the best responses we get. We appreciate all the interaction we get on Twitter. Julie Andrade, 94, absolutely beautiful, chaotic masterpiece. That's a good job, Julie. I, that's certainly a great way to put it. Uh, masterpiece also. Barbecue Kansas City. I wonder if she meant it that way. I, I hope so. Learn <laughs> to think says, go buy a scuba suit. I'll see you in Orchard Park in January, Patrick. I love the pettiness. Tach Ramo simply says, it's Miller time. Yes, it is. Kyle Reynolds, six, time for shots. Feel you on that one, Kyle. That game took a lot out of us. Mary and the Buff, Bills beat the Zebras. It did, Luca, quickly feel like the, the refs kind of had their uh, their whistles going against the Bills this game. Did you get that feeling also? For the most part, we're not a, we're not a, I think you even tweeted this out. I think I saw that after mm -hmm. we're not a, you know, it's the ref's fault or whatever podcast. I will also say this. There was one play that was horrible. I think it was against the chiefs where I just did not understand. It was maybe, mm, bu, 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 bu. oh, Travis Kelsey getting called yeah. for OPI. Yeah, oh, Man, that was not but OPI. I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say this right now. Look, the trip was a trip and all of that stuff, but guys. If anyone out there thinks Travis Kelsey committed OPI on that play, he was flagged for it. You are insane. Mm -hmm. That is a very conventional, normal extension going through a break. And he doesn't even like extend through the defensive player. His arm is already extended as it touches the defensive player with maybe his fingertips. I was like, how in the world do you flag that in that position? I just so look, they were just bad refs. Let's just call it that. Right. They, they were just they didn't have a good day. Just things weren't working. It did feel like it, though. I understand why there are Bills fans and, you know, Bills Mafia out there that feel, as this tweet reflects, Bills beat zebras. You know, it is what it is. Deborah Lewis chimes in. The Bills knew their assignments and they got the job done. That's a great point, Deborah. Luca broke down that last play and it was definitely sound assignment football. Charles Byrne, the Bills were bodacious as they beat the choking Chiefs. I don't know if I've heard the word bodacious in a while, but I love it, Charles. I respect it. Z Mad Mafia, Josh Allen leaps, Von Miller sacks, Chiefs fans weep, and it only took took 13 seconds to collapse. Z Mad hitting us with a little poetry here tonight. And then Mafia Mom, excruciatingly awesome, 
Go Bills. What a good way to end it with Mafia Mom there. So we appreciate all the interaction on Twitter, obviously, throughout the game. And uh, those of you that chimed in on our sum up the game in one tweet response. I love all those responses. Thank you for playing along. All right, Luca, we talked a little bit about the last drive, but to me, the drive that got this game back on the Bills side was actually the last Bills drive before the first half. And the Bills in this drive, you have called it out in our notes here. I am stumbling while I try to find out the exact distance. They went 98 yards, Luca, capped off with a Gabe Davis touchdown. I have a feeling Kansas City Chiefs fans are getting tired of seeing Gabe Davis score touchdowns in their building. Just a feeling. I could be wrong. But to me, seven play, 96 yards. And that was in one minute and 13 seconds at the end of the first half. We talked about how the offense really could not get out of their own way. It was one step forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. Isaiah McKenzie drop in the end zone, Uh, the fumble. We talked about it all. And still, they had an opportunity with this touchdown to go into halftime with a lead. They didn't go into halftime with a lead. And we'll talk about that in a second because that was eerily eerily similar to something that happened last year. And now we can all kind of laugh about it. But to me, Luca, that was to me, one of those eraser drives. Like this game has been a mess. The offense has made a lot of mistakes. The defense has kept them in. And what Josh Allen did is he took out a big old eraser, erased all the mistakes and got the bills right back in the driver's seat. When Gabe Davis hits that touchdown one, what an absolute dart by Josh Allen. One, Reading the blitz to putting up a perfect ball for Davis had a similar throw to, to Diggs in the third quarter, but two, I'm not a big momentum guy, but whoa, we have uh, I, I see why you're reacting. I'm not trying to steer clear. It looks like we're having a brawl between the Eagles and the Cowboys. I'm sure they'll be talking about that tomorrow. I'm not a big momentum guy. Like I feel like sometimes momentum is something where like after the fact, people that break down games, particularly like on national TV. They're like, well, the Bills had all the momentum because they won. Are you saying they had momentum because they won or did you really feel like they had momentum? But in that particular moment, it really felt like that that game was just waiting for the Chiefs to pull away. The Bills kept making mistakes, could not get anything going offensively. And you're just kind of sitting there bracing for the Chiefs to pull away, get a two score lead. The defense is keeping them in. And then boom, Josh Allen out of nowhere, 98-yard touchdown drive, ending up with a Gabe Davis touchdown. To me, Luca, the game turned on that drive. And while there was obviously some back and forth that would go on, particularly even on the next Chiefs possession, to me, that was the one where it was like, okay, the Bills are here to fight. It's been sloppy, but these are the Bills we expected, and this is going to be a very, very fun second half. That drive was massive. Also, I love that you stumbled through the official yardage. So officially, just want to point it out to everyone if they weren't aware, it was 96 yards. I put in our notes, and I love that Josh stumbled out of this. I put 98.5 yards after penalties. The reason I do that is because that drive started so horribly with there's on the punt return, I want to say there was a penalty. Uh, by the way, Shakir running sideways created all of this, but then there was a penalty that drove it half half the yards, you know, half to the distance to the goal line. And then on top of that, the bills, when they have it at the four or the three, I think it was actually, they get a false start back to the one and a half. So, or, so it was the four. So I did say 98.5 cause it felt like it. Cause I think it wasn't even full two yards, but officially 96 yards actually felt 98 and a half, but to get that done in a minute and 13 seconds after the game that you just painted out up until that point was just massive. 
I am a big believer in momentum, or as one of my good friends, shout out Callan says, momentum. Just love how it sounds with an extra um on the end. Um, it, momentum is everything in games. And to get it all done, the 18-yard pass to Gabe Davis to get your, you know, get your ass, excuse my language, out of the end zone and you know, maybe try to make something out of this drive, hitting digs on uh, I believe it was Sims pointed it out on the pregame show of the Sunday night game, but like that throw to Diggs and everything that happened and then Diggs even to get out of bounds to then cross midfield was that's the one that when they hit that, I was like, okay, something points are going to happen on this drive. I don't know if it's going to be a touchdown. I don't know if it's going to be a field goal, but points are going to happen because they're figuring something out. They have their mojo, right? Something is happening. And then of course, Josh Allen with another incredible throw, just absolutely putting one in the bucket of Gabe Davis. As you said, Kansas City Chiefs fans cannot be enjoying Gabe Davis visiting Arrowhead, but I'm sure Gabe Davis in 13 loves going there because this man is in the end zone. Uh, not often enough, let's just put it that way, but often enough to piss them off. And that was a drive that really got me in a mindset up until that point. I really wasn't here yet, but that was the one where it's like, okay, the bills are in this game now, right? The defense, as we've talked about, kind of kept them hanging around and doing their job. And then finally the offense puts something together that didn't end in a turnover or just a field goal. No, we got a touchdown. And at that point in time, we had a lead late in the first half. And it just felt good. It felt like, okay, this is the team we expected to be there from the start. They even looked at on the first drive. We talked about it. They moved the ball well. It just ended in that unfortunate fumble on the read option. But to get the touchdown, to get the seven points at the end of a drive, 96 or 98, however you want to look at it, yards in a minute and 13 seconds. By the way, 13 seconds, Gabe Davis scores. Keeps happening. Fun little note. Just, it's just, it's unbelievable how these things happen. But what, that was the one that finally had me firmly going. I was patting, you know, one of my, I, I keep talking about my friends, but the living room, I will tell you, Josh, my living room had some interesting reactions going on throughout the game. And I made sure I kind of documented them in my head. I keep, I kept having to tell my one friend sitting to my right to like calm the breathing down or just, you know, relax. Like we're, <laughs> I was telling, I was like, we're a second half team, man. We're a second half team. Like I was actually a very calm and collected yeah. individual in my living room because one, I was living exactly what I preached in the last episode right at the end. This is a week six game. This is not a game. And I still believe this, by the way, win or loss. I just want this on the record. I legitimately believed that win or loss, the Bills still to me had a better track to get the one seed than the Chiefs did. Even though we lose that tiebreaker situation, there was just something about what we have to finish this year with the second two thirds of the year and what they had to finish with that. I'm like, look, I can write in more losses on their schedule than I can on the bills. It's just plain and simple. So I, I just, I was trying to live and preach by that. Look, it's a week six game. Just stay relaxed. Enjoy this. We will get into the discussion of why I really was like, let's just enjoy this moment. You know, of course, it might have to do with those two quarterbacks and facing off yet another time. And there's a correlation there. I was just enjoying it. And when that touchdown happened, it was finally, instead of just being like, hey, I need to enjoy it and calm everyone else down in my living room or just try to give the good vibes and just make sure everyone's feeling okay. That was when I was like, okay, momentum is on our side for the time being. And <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like this team can actually do the things we expect them to be able to do. And it was a great, great feeling. Thank you, Gabe Davis, for yet another touchdown in Arrowhead. How is that comparison to MVS doing Kansas City fans? Suck it. Gabe Davis is a star. And if you gave up on him in fantasy, 
when he was injured for a couple games playing hurt. That's on you, not on him. All right, so I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like it's low-hanging fruit, but after the Bills score a touchdown, 16 seconds left on the clock, the Bills squib it, which is not my favorite play call in that situation. I'd rather go with a little like um, shorter kickoff, make them return it, but I'm not a big fan of the squib because it can hit an up back and all of a sudden you've you've created good field position. Um, but the Chiefs, you know, this did not happen there. Uh, the Chiefs returned it nine yards to the 28-yard line. Uh, Mahomes then passed to Jarrett McKinnon. Uh, for 19 yards, he is able to get out of bounds, getting around Taron Johnson. And then from there, Mahomes gets a short pass to Travis Kelsey to the 44-yard line, and Harrison Butker kicks a 62-yard field goal with the ease of what looked like he was holding a controller in his hand playing Madden, just absolute ice water in that guy's veins. Luca, I feel like Twitter was ready to set itself on fire in that moment, and I really had to like set control myself from deleting tweets. I feel like a lot of people felt like that was the end of the game there. And it's like, folks, this is the end of the half. Like it's the end of the half of a regular season game. This isn't the end of the game of a playoff game. And unlike the 13 second scenario, which we are not going to go through on this episode, because this is a happy show with happy thoughts. We, I don't think the bills coaching staff really did anything wrong on this drive. One, they, they didn't kick it out of the end zone, which in that scenario, I think you actually could get away with kicking it out of the end zone. Kind of is what it is, whatever. But they let the clock run off on the, on the return. The return didn't bite them. The, 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 place, the play that really set up the field goal was the first pass, the 19-yard pass to McKinnon. Um, he's bottled up. He's able to make a move on Taron Johnson and get out of bounds. If they get him on the ground in that scenario, the Chiefs have to burn their only timeout. And then they're really more so in Hail Mary range because the Bills are going to play the sideline and it's going to be tough to get any kind of kind of playoff in that amount of time and spike the ball. And what are you going to do? Harrison Butker makes a 62-yard field goal. Are you really going to kill the Bills for that? And we, at the end of the day, we have to understand that like as much as we want to turn the Bills defense into a meme for how the season ended last year because it was embarrassing, that is still Patrick Mahomes on the other sideline. He is phenomenal. He is going to make plays in those situations. He didn't at the end of the game, but in that scenario, a lot of defenses are going to give up points to him. You live with the fact they make a 62-yard field goal. The teams go in tight at halftime. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I feel like it's just going to, you know, open old wounds. But Luca, any thoughts on how the half ended? I'll keep it brief. Um, it all happened. We get to halftime. Uh, another one of my friends in the living room, you know, kind of made a comment. It wasn't negative or anything. I can't remember the comment. That's the only reason I'm not saying what he said, because I can't remember what I do remember was my response. And my response is this. It just goes to show you that no matter what you do, good teams are most likely going to make good things happen for them. And that's what the Chiefs did. And we did everything differently. It's it's ironic, however people want to point it. We did the squib this time, stuff like that. Like we may have changed up the defense to not allow something. And then there's McKinnon, as you pointed out, the first catch, slips a tackle, is able to make something happen. And it's like, oh no, here we go, right? Whatever it may be, good teams just find out a way to maximize whatever they can. And Credit to Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Chiefs. They did that. That example right there and then the infamous divisional playoff sequence of events show you that no matter what you do and what you decide on, sometimes things just happen. 
And I made, you know, and I kind of just said that in response to, you know, what he hit. And it was, I know this, and I want to just say that because I'm not like crapping on someone here. Like they made kind of a similar statement. It just like he was, I think he said, basically, it's like, it shows that all that debate was useless, right? Like all this talk, all off season and all that wound, it was like, it's all useless. Like, it doesn't matter what you did. Like they were going to do something. And in a way he's kind of right. It just shows situations are situations. Things happen and great teams make great plays in moments that they need to. And that's what the Chiefs did with the limited amount of time they had. And then Harrison Bucker on a bum plant a goal. Booms. It was a 62-yarder. Josh, I just real quick, that thing would have made it from 70, right? Like that thing was halfway up the uprights. It was just an incredible kick. Oh, Credit yeah. to them, right? Credit to them. They made it happen. They got it in at halftime. Is what it is. God, we ended up winning the game, though. <laughs> I think our friends at Air Raid Hour from Cover One said it right. They tweeted out, I ain't even mad. I'm impressed <laughs> after he made that kick. How are you going to be mad about that? I mean, that is a hell of a play. All right, let's let's wrap this game up with a quick discussion on Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes because this game was the national spotlight this week. This was the game that the national networks were talking about. And you know the low-hanging fruit when the national media gets their hands on a game. They are not going to drill in, go under the hood like Bill's content creators are. Like, we live with this team. So we know the situations going on with, like, the backup cornerbacks having to play or injuries on the defensive line or offensive line issues or Zach Moss issues. But, you know, for a national standpoint, the story really was all week, Allen versus Mahomes. And at one point during the week, I saw so much going back and forth on it between um, people that follow us on Twitter, people we follow. And it was just like there would be a Chiefs fan posting something about Mahomes and then a Bills fan chiming in saying, Allen is his daddy, which is just like, what are you doing? And then the same thing happens. Like they'd say something like, oh, some pro football focus would post some Josh Allen stat and there'd be like 10 Chiefs fans in there saying, yeah, but he can't beat Mahomes in the playoffs. And then, you know, that's Twitter. But then you look at the national shows and you had Colin Cowherd coming out this week and saying that, the Bills can't win close games. You had Skip Bayless coming out this week saying that Josh Allen can't make the big play in the big spot when he threw two game-winning touchdown passes last year in the playoffs against the Chiefs and his defense never gave him the ball back. Like, what is he supposed to do in that scenario? I got so fatigued by Allen versus Mahomes. But Luca, to me, this I thought you at the end of our show were excellent. I, I thought you did such a good job. And to me, it almost reminded me of a LeBron comparison. So many people are going to have LeBron James career go by and they're going to have missed it because every single time LeBron James does anything, they're just ready to say, well, Michael Jordan was better. My, is, is that better than Jordan? Oh, wait, that's better than Jordan. Oh, no, no. Jordan was better here. And instead of just enjoying this great generational player in LeBron James, they have just wasted watching and enjoying his career by comparing it to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan never lost in the finals. So I, I don't get why people live in that kind of world. And to me, that's the Allen Mahomes thing. And, and I don't want to steal your thunder. You summed it up great on the last episode. And I, I'm certainly not asking you to repeat it. But for all the conversation about Allen's versus Mahomes this week, where are you at with that? Because I feel like there's a segment of fans that if they can't get over this whole tug of war going on between the two fan bases, they're really going to miss out on what I think is one of the most special times in this franchise's history. These debates are fueled and brought up 
by national media, local media sometimes, whatever it may be in the media, because it gets them what they want, and that's instant reaction. And just kind of an interaction with fans, you know, communities, Twitter people, whatever it may be, because that's what they need to do. That's their job. They're an entertainment business. The NFL and the sports media and everything, people, it is an entertainment business. Never forget that. And why I say that so firmly and why I start this here is just think about Manning versus Brady. Think about, as Josh pointed out and what I brought up last week, you have the LeBron versus, um, wow, did I just blank on Michael Jordan for a second? That's wild. <laughs> LeBron versus Michael Jordan for a second. And it's, look, the two different things because Manning Brady happened versus each other in an era. You have LeBron, Michael Jordan, that's comparing different eras and dominant players of those eras and how did, you know, who did what better and things of that nature. I think what gets lost in it at all is, as you put, and as I've put, and every like people need to understand LeBron is an unbelievable talent, a generational talent. Michael Jordan, a generational talent. E, you know, wow, I almost said Eli. Peyton Manning, a generational talent. Tom Brady, obviously he is still, I mean, he's still kicking here, but he generational talent. Like they were both elite. All these guys were elite at their sports. And the only reason these discussions are being had is because how big they are to their sports and what they mean and how dominant they have been, especially with the track record, they continue to build up if they're still active or the ones that, you know, kind of have it all laid out in front of you. They're all first ballot hall of famers. They're all incredible. They're, they're, all four of these individuals just named right now are probably on the Mount Rushmore's of their respective position slash sports. Like they are that big. What we are currently sitting in right now, people is Allen versus Mahomes essentially has been solidified as the Nick, the next Manning versus Brady, a point I've wrote down here on the notes and I know Josh sees it. And I think it's something that really needs to be brought up because it was brought up at the, during the broadcast. And it's a, it's an excellent point. Romo might've said some things that were weird and just, whatever Romo does a great job. And one thing he brought up was this is the game that everyone else around the league looks for on the entire NFL schedule, because this is the game just like Brady and Manning all those years was the matchup that basically shaped the landscape of the conference of which they play in the chiefs and bills in the past currently and in the future are going to shape the AFC and every season that they're going to match up because Barring anything crazy happening to their team where they don't both finish as division winners, and this might have been the year that people thought Mahomes wasn't, spoiler alert, looks like the Chiefs are going to probably win the AFC West again. This is a matchup that's going to happen every season, and this is the one that the entire AFC is going to have to watch and see effectively where it looks like those playoffs are going to have to go through because we and the Chiefs are the standard. Allen and Mahomes are the standard. That is what everyone hopes to achieve. The Eagles have something going great. They just continued their undefeated run. As we're recording this, you'll be listening. You'll know the Chiefs had just beaten the Cowboys. They're having a great year. I, I find it hard to believe there's many people out there that think the Eagles, even in the NFC, are a better team than both the ones that just played today, the Chiefs and the Bills. A friend in my living room said, I would not think less of whoever loses this game. That was before the game. And I think everyone can join in and saying that. So what I ask people all the time to do is kind of not fall into that quote unquote trap that the media and the entertainment business kind of has you fall into and just constantly live in this world that your guy, whether it's Allen or Mahomes, 
is not better or just as good as the other. Like this does not need to be a fight. Both fan bases, I honestly can believe, can say they would have it no other way. If any Bills fan out there says they would rather have Mahomes, I'd just question why. And same goes for the Chiefs. Like, why would you ask for the other? You, they both bring such an unbelievable level, level of skill and talent and joy, just as a pure watching and spectating viewpoint, that you don't want it any other way. I don't want to watch Mahomes play for the Bills and see what happens. Like, I don't care. Like, I love watching Josh Allen every snap and seeing what he can do, whether it's throwing or running and slash hurdling people like Mahomes is not going to be out there hurdling, but I don't think any chiefs fan wants Mahomes going out there and trying to hurdle anyone. I think Mahomes does quite fine scrambling and being extremely slippery while also throwing absolute dots all over the place. Like these are two incredible, incredible quarterbacks. This, this is Manning versus Brady, but honestly, this could even be better than Manning versus Brady. And I say could because let's try to enjoy this, people. Like, we are now currently in that window. We talk about was Manning versus Brady basically the best era of quarterback play or matchup of all time. And the reason we do that is because we have it all in front of us. I wonder what all those people, I mean, Josh and I know through our numerous social media accounts over the years and dealing with Madden communities and all that stuff, there was always a Brady versus Manning kind of like hostility with certain people and Manning lovers just would never accept the Brady lovers and Brady lovers would just never accept the Manning lovers. And it was just, it was so hostile to the point that it was laughable and even just at times just so uncomfortable that it's like, why can't you just enjoy this moment? Like there were rare times. I mean, I say that just because obviously the facts we all know now where Manning finally got the best of Brady. And it just seemed like Brady fans just wanted to like cry. It's like, look, respect the fact that Brady, of course, won, but then just got beat by another elite quarterback for once. Like that happens. If you're an Allen fan, yes, Mahomes is still beating you more times than Allen has beaten him. But that doesn't mean I think Allen is lesser of Mahomes. They are equals. They are, again, the league standard at quarterback. You never see Tua versus Mahomes. You never, I mean, the Herbert versus Mahomes stuff is there, but it's kind of faded away again. And then as Josh with his wonderful, wonderful meme slash recycle template shows, anytime a new quarterback comes in this league and may struggle a little bit, what they love to do is be like, well, Josh Allen had these kinds of stats. Maybe he can have that kind of trajectory. There's a reason for it, people, because Josh Allen was that one guy to finally figure it out and become this unbelievable TV worthy box office entertainment elite quarterback that is at par with Mahomes. These are the guys. They will probably forever be the guys while they're playing football. Like we had a discussion in preseason. How how many seasons can we expect Josh Allen to play like what we know? And I think I gave the answer of around five to eight years. If we get Josh Allen like this for five to eight more years, I honestly think we will also get Mahomes for those five to eight years. That's another almost decade, people. That means with the level of play they've already provided to the point of if they go to that, especially if they go to that full eight years, that is a decade. It is just Allen and Mahomes above everyone else in at least the AFC. They are the standard. Everyone needs to look up at them. And again, as my one friend said in the living room, I will not think lesser of whoever loses this game. And that is facts. Kansas City lost this game. Patrick Mahomes threw 
you know, I mean, he, th- he got baited into throwing an interception. We talked about it. I don't think any less of Patrick Mahomes. That easily could have happened to Josh Allen. Like, do not get it wrong. That easily could have been something that happened to Josh Allen. And I still fully expect to be facing Kansas City in the playoffs, most likely in the AFC Championship. This is probably going to be, now because of this game especially, I'm pretty sure we can all agree we expect Bills 1, Chiefs 2, and it's essentially just going to be a warpath going meeting each other, now, thankfully for us, in Orchard Park. That is what we're going to deal with. And then we're going to have this Allen versus Mahomes, but it's Allen versus Mahomes in all the best ways because just think about this. I don't think there's one thing of hostility between these two individuals. They do not hate each other. They've honestly become friends off the field. It's clear as day. Embrace that, people. They respect each other, and they are friends off the field. So I ask anyone, just kind of, it's not being the better person, but just understand you don't need to compare to the other. You don't need to be better than the other. Like, I know people love their rankings. They love their Mount Rushmores and all that kind of fun jazz. I get it. It's a it's a fun thing. We have one friend, Josh Nino, shout out to him, that loves to rank anything under the moon, movies, TV shows, NFL players, whatever it may be. He's bad with numbers, but he loves to rank them. It's like, you don't need to do that. You don't, like, it's fun. It's a fun exercise, but it doesn't need to be a debate. You don't need to be like, you put him too low, you put him too high. It's, again, I get it. It's fun. We do it sometimes. But Allen versus Mahomes does not need to be one of these, this is better than the other. They are both so out of this world I'm going to end this rant here. They are so out of this world that just be thankful. We are living in a moment that we get to watch this most likely at least once a season. And that is just beautiful. In this game we got to watch, yes, we won. But any Chiefs fan out there, I hope they can understand as well just how good of a game that was. Just like after the season ended, I've watched, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I have watched that divisional game full through at least three times because that is one of the best football games, college and NFL, that I have ever watched. When you say full through, are you going all the way to overtime? Oh, all all the way. Oh, you're a sick person. From start to finish. Look, there is only one game I have still not watched the entire thing through. You and I could probably both guess what game that is. 1984 Liverpool against... Manchester <laughs> so gonna, City. First, oh. I'm talking. I'm talking NFL. Okay, sorry. And two, it's the highest of level of game. Where unfortunately, where my fandom lied at that point in time got boned. But, anyways, just enjoy what these these games are, and enjoy what Allen and Mahomes are able to bring. Because when you watch any other NFL game out there, when you watch anything any other team puts out there, even the six and zero Eagles. Fumbled a third in 12 that set up the possibility of the Cowboys with Cooper Rush to come back and make it a game again. When the game was on the line, even that team screwed it up. You don't generally see those things with these two guys because these two gentlemen and the teams they are built around or the teams that are built around them do not make those kinds of mistakes. They are that high of level of NFL. Enjoy it, people. Please, for the love of God, enjoy that we live in this moment. Just remember the drought. Remember everything. Trent Edwards, J.P. Lossman. Love me, J.P., but J.P. Lossman. All those years and the agony and what it, you, you would have killed to lose a divisional playoff game like the Bills did at the Chiefs. You would have killed for that moment because it was such an unbelievable display of football that it just, you as a Bills fan, you will always forever be linked to that game. 
it sucks what the result was, but remember that was Allen versus Mahomes. You are linked to one of the greatest postseason games ever played because it was just a perfect display of football. This game is also right there. We just thankfully were on the right side. Please, please, please stop with Allen is better than Mahomes or Mahomes is better with Allen, whatever. They are both so out of this world people that be thankful we have Allen. It's okay that they have Mahomes and we're going to be battling for championships for years to come, it seems. If somebody asked you today to say, hey, who do you think is better all time, John Elway or Dan Marino? You can have that conversation because the careers are written. You can look back and see John Elway won two Super Bowls. He went to a handful more. Dan Marino never did that, but he had X amount of yardage and you can start adding up who had more MVPs, who had more all pros. The the part where the Allen versus Mahomes conversation, I, it's fun. Like I get it. Like here's these two electrifying players in football that are doing things at the position that quite frankly, a lot of us never thought we would see players do at the position. And it's great. And our team is one of the two teams that has a guy like that. But it's so early in their careers where Josh Allen's 26, Mahomes is 27. And to some of these conversations to get watered down to, oh, well, Mahomes has more, has one more MVP and he has one more Super Bowl ring. Folks, if you go to see a two hour movie, I'm not asking for you to review the movie 40 minutes in. Like if a decade from now, Josh Allen still doesn't have a Super Bowl ring, it's a conversation. Then it's a, yeah, Mahomes probably has two or three at that point. Allen has zero. It factors into the equation. We're 40% into their careers right now. If they both play to 35, if they go beyond that, we're way less than 40% into their careers. Like Lucas said, enjoy the games, enjoy the highlights. I firmly believe we're probably not done seeing Patrick Mahomes beat Josh Allen in the playoffs. I also think we're going to see several times where Josh Allen beats Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. It's going to be one of those rivalries where every year you look forward to that game. And then if one of these two teams gets knocked off before we get a chance to see Bill's Chiefs in the playoffs, it's going to be disappointing. Like, man, we were wanting to see Allen and Mahomes, and then all of a sudden Burrow goes to Buffalo and beats the Bills. Who knows? But I don't understand the desire to start adding up accomplishments when they're so young into their careers. My voice is going out. I can feel it. So I think it, that is a sign that the football gods are telling me, Luca, it is time to put a bow on this game with a segment we call Game Ball and Game Checks. But before I do that, I do want to say I'm going to power through this segment here. We have our bye week episode coming up. So we are not done with the Chiefs. We are going to focus a lot on big picture stuff. What happened in the first half, which certainly includes the game today, what it looks like for the Bills to get that one seed. We're going to bring Stokes back. I look forward to that episode. So we are not done talking about the Chiefs. I am done talking for a second because I'm going to take a drink of water. But you know how this segment goes. Game ball is our MVP. Game check is who has to cash in their game check. Luca, who gets your game ball for their performance today against the Chiefs? There's plenty of candidates for this, right? You know, there's, there's, look. We've say it every week, and it's it's worth saying every week. Josh Allen could literally be brought up every week for this, and Josh Allen got a real game ball for his performance today. And it's hard not to give him the game ball, but I just always will say this is my award personally that I will just never give it to Josh Allen because he could literally get it every game, even in a Miami loss earlier this season. You could still give that game ball to Josh Allen. So this is my game ball, except for Josh Allen. Um, 
I'm not going to rattle off a bunch of players, but what I will say is I have a few written down. What I will tell you is the individual I had early on is not the individual I will be giving this game ball to. Um, he played exceptional early. He was kind of my leading candidate early. The game changed, but I never saw him make a mistake. And I thought that early on, he was very, very important on the defensive side of the ball to kind of keep things tame. And he was kind of doing his job and doing it well, whereas others were maybe finding struggles or whatever may have been going. Um, I don't think you're going to name him, so I just want to give him the shout out. Tremaine Edmonds, early in the game, he was making some key tackles that kind of kept the defense afloat and was doing the job. I just want to give him a shout out because early in the game, again, one more time, when it didn't seem like things were going well, the guy who I noticed kind of pop off the screen and just keep it afloat and keep the game close and let the offense not get you know too far back where they just if things were out of hand, he was very vital in all of that. But I got to give my game ball to Von Miller. Like, <laughs> like, we're, what are we doing here? Like, Von, Von came up with a big sack in the first half. Von came up with a big sack during the middle of the second half. Or no, sorry. It wasn't a sack, but it was a big tackle. And then Von with, of course, the big sack to force a three and out to get the ball back to the Bills for the eventual leading touchdown drive. Von, this is why you are here. This is what we paid all that money for the quote unquote closer and boy did Vaughn both there. And then that rush to force Mahomes out to his right late to force the, you know, Taron Johnson interception, all those things. Vaughn was vital. V vital Vaughn was a closer in this game. And therefore that is why he gets my game ball. That's a great choice. I mean, I, to me, it's either Allen or, or Miller, um, so I'm going to go through a couple guys that probably deserved it. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, the guy that gets my game ball did not have the best game. If you start, if you start adding up stats and impact, but so obviously Luca mentioned Josh Allen, we know how excellent he was. Stefan Diggs again, 10 receptions, 148 yards and a touchdown. Gabe Davis, the big touchdown before halftime, Kair Elam, second interception in as many weeks. Um, Taron Johnson, the game ceiling interception, things like that all make sense. But you know, there was a moment in this game that was bigger than football, and it happened on the Bills' go-ahead touchdown drive. Dawson Knox catches a touchdown pass, and then it seemed like he was overcome by emotion in the end zone, points up to the sky in what turned out to be a tribute to his brother Luke, who unfortunately passed away um, a couple weeks before the season started in preseason. And that's just so much bigger than football, and for the fact that that was such a cool moment for Dawson – and you could just see like a guy that just scored a go ahead touchdown, even on the sidelines, was not celebrating, was very subdued. Um, you could just tell it meant a lot to him. And Stefan Diggs spoke beautifully about it after the game. Dawson Knox is 100% getting my game ball here. Um, again, bigger than football, cool moment for him. And all you can hope is, you know, something like that can help him and his family as they continue through this very painful healing process. Um, that comes along with losing a family member far, 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 far too young. All right, Luca, um, with the good, we got to talk about the bad. We talked about game balls. Who are you demanding a game check back for, for their performance against the Chiefs? And I also want to start this with, and I have it typed up here. This is going to become perfectly timed. I, I, I Josh needs to confirm this, but this is the Zach Moss Memorial Award, people. He got healthy scratch today, and thank God for that. I'm just going to put that out there. Like it made me happy <laughs> that when I saw his name there, 
I didn't care who else was on the scratch list. It was like, thank you. Thank you, Bill's staff, for recognizing that that needed to happen for whatever reason they may have done it. This game check segment segment is officially going to be known going forward as long as Josh is okay with it as the Zach Boss Memorial Award. Okay, now that I got that off, the individual, there's two people that kind of stand out to me. And I'm sure the other one that I don't go with may end up being your selection. But there, you know, there weren't a lot of lows in this game, but there were two individuals to me that kind of stood out as look, it maybe they mentally weren't there or they just couldn't figure things out appropriately. And these two really just couldn't figure that out throughout the entire game and maybe came up with either a key penalty that was unfortunate or just couldn't make things happen on the offensive side of the ball. Like I said, I'm pretty sure you're going to take the other one. Me personally, I really think the Zach Moss Memorial Award or the Game Checks Award, we still haven't finalized this yet, but the individual that should be taking care of this award is Isaiah McKenzie. This is not a bash on Isaiah McKenzie. Bad games happen. I think this game highlighted something, though, where Isaiah McKenzie may not be as great as some people in the preseason thought he was. He is an exceptional talent. I think he's got a lot of tools and attributes to him that we all know about, and he can do things, and he can step up. But this was a game here where I just think something was off with him, whether it was mental, physical, I don't know. You know, I don't think anyone of us know outside looking in, but you know, when it comes to the first drive and we had this discussion off air, Josh, but look, I, I think you initially your reaction makes sense. Like people might blame Josh Allen for that might think it was kind of a last ditch pitch to me in the amount of college football. I've watched the amount of Kyler Murray led Cardinals football that I've watched. And just what I'm talking about is option running the quarterback or whoever is the individual that takes that snap. then immediately goes to the lane or side that they are supposed to run at right when that happens until they cross the line of scrimmage effectively they have that option to pitch it to the individual that is the lead back on the play in this case it was isaiah mckenzie and until you see that individual in this case also josh allen cross the line of scrimmage, kind of take their lane and shoot upwards, right? They're, they took the hole or took the gap and they just liked what it was on this option and get past the line of scrimmage. You better be watching that individual. That is your job. You are the lead back. You are the option back. You need to have all eyes there. Isaiah McKenzie clearly didn't have his eyes as we all saw on Josh Allen and we all know what happened. That's example number one of maybe it just wasn't all working today. Number two, this one might be on Josh a little bit more. We don't really know, but the drop in the end zone was just so heartbreaking because we already saw what happened earlier in the game. And then another unfortunate thing happens central around Isaiah McKenzie. And that's kind of where the frustration boiled and it just wasn't working out. You noticed in the second half of the game, he wasn't really getting any targets. I don't believe I don't mean he might've not received one just it was recognized that maybe something just wasn't there, whether it was his head. Obviously, we know also concussion situation. Maybe he's not feeling 100% physically and or mentally. It just, the drop was a little behind him. But also when he went to readjust himself, I feel like Isaiah McKenzie was a receiver that we would trust to readjust. Like body control would be there where he could reach for a ball that was thrown slightly behind him and adjust and make the play happen. And in this case, he kind of stutters to adjust kicks out his own foot effectively and then just drops the drops the ball in the end zone. Like it, it 
I'm not trying to bash McKenzie, but he had an off day. It's clear as day. Like last week, Kyer Elam had a very bad day, like even at an interception in a very poor day. Isaiah McKenzie today, unfortunately, or for anyone listening yesterday, had a poor day. And for that reason, Zach Moss or the Zach Moss Memorial Award. Geez, I mean, Zach Moss would get it if he was active, but the Zach Moss Memorial Award, in my mind, goes to Isaiah McKenzie. It's a great call. Um, honestly, if I wasn't trying to mix it up, I probably would give it to McKenzie just because this was as bad as we've ever seen him play. And it was almost mind boggling. It, it seemed like he got in his own head a little bit. I'm not worried about McKenzie. I think he's going to be an effective player for the Bills. But I think Luca hit on an important point is this season with McKenzie and really to a certain extent, Gabe Davis was a projection. Like we were projecting them to step into bigger roles and almost expecting them to thrive in those because they've thrived in lesser roles. Davis is really taking off. McKenzie's had some good moments this year, but I don't think really there's been that moment where you're like, okay, he's definitely filled the void by Isaiah McKenzie or by Cole Beasley. And when you have a player like a Khalil Shakir, who every time he touches the ball, good things seem to happen. It makes for an interesting conversation that we will get into next week on our big picture episode. I very much look forward to that. Um, but I'm going to go with the guy on the defensive side of the ball, Luca, another guy who had a really tough day, uh, Saran Neal. It seemed like he was pinpointed as the guy, good luck, in charge of stopping Travis Kelsey, which I don't know if that guy exists in the NFL, but I do know that guy is not Saran Neal after watching this game today. Um, multiple holding penalties, which it's going to happen. Look, Travis Kelsey is a very tough person to defend, but he had one on third and 15 that extended a drive. And you did, those are the moments where I understand you're going to try to get away with some things. You're going to, you're going to make the refs call it essentially in that scenario. You can't have it. You have to make the chiefs execute an offensive play on third and 15. You can't let the refs have a situation to bail them out with a penalty. But I honestly thought my most frustrating moment with Saran Neal came on the Juju Smith Schuster touchdown where yes, Teron John, uh, Taron Johnson misses a tackle, but Saran Neal is right there to clean up. And he essentially just watches Juju run to the end zone. DeMar Hamlin also had a little bit of a boneheaded play there. I felt like going back and rewatching it, it felt like DeMar Hamlin and Saran Neal were kind of like both expecting the other one to make the play and neither one made the play. And unfortunately, Saran Neal's been on the wrong end of some of those. Like if you remember back to the Houston game um, when he was one of the guys tackling Deshaun Watson before he broke free. Um, <clears throat> so all that in mind. And then I think something else that will come from this and the big picture episode is the Bills spent a third round pick on Terrell Bernard, who is billed as this coverage linebacker um, a bigger body, but also has like DB speed. And you think about S Saran Neal, a bigger body. Um, it It's just interesting that Saran Neal's number was called here. And what does that mean for Bernard? I, I look forward to getting into that. But as far as his performance in today's game goes, uh, Saran Neal is going to be my game check award or the Zach Moss Memorial award. All right, Luca, let's spin it around the league now. Um, briefly, as my voice is telling me to tap out here soon, there were some fun results around the league. Luca, are the Jets good? Because they went to Green Bay and put it on the Packers. I will tell you, watching that game a little bit, I didn't watch it through and through, but I watched enough to have a decent feel. I feel like 
the and the Packers are a team that's next up on the Bills schedule after the bye. I feel like conventional wisdom is they're struggling because they got rid of Devontae Adams. They don't have a lot of weapons on the outside. Watching that game, Aaron Rodgers does not look right to me. I don't know if, if he's aging, if there was an injury. I didn't have the sound up. I don't know if there's an injury that was reported that I just didn't hear about. He missed Aaron Jones once going wide open down the sideline. Um, he, he seemed like he was high and low on a bunch of passes today. And to me, yes, I understand the lack of weapons. Alan Lazard is your number one receiver is never a good thing. But I still, when you see what Patrick Mahomes did today and what he's done this season, elevating guys that outside of Travis Kelsey are not special receivers, throwing them open, making the entire team better because he's an elite quarterback. And then you see Aaron Rodgers, somebody that like if you're a fantasy football player is not is no longer an automatic start. And he's actually somebody that like the Mike Clays are telling you don't start him because he's not effective. I don't know. What is, where are you at with this game, Luca, with uh, the the green Bay Packers and the jets? I guess I should give the score here because um, I'm kind of all over the place here. I will stall for a second and get the score. But in general, if you're interested, the jets beat the Packers 27 to 10 at Lambeau field. And we're not going to spend this long on every game, but was this more good jets or bad Packers for you? Cause the jets improved to four and two. So I'm not going to say that it's overwhelming what my opinion is because I want to give the props to the Jets. Also props Sauce Gardner uh, stealing a cheese head from somewhere and walking off the field with it. <laughs> Amazing swag. <laughs> love, the, love the move. Anyways, the Jets did a great job, but this is definitely uh, alarms are risen for the Packers. The Big Cat, you know, everyone knows Barstool Big Cat, I think, out there in the world. He tweeted out something. He had something on his football football show or whatever they call it that he said. And he like, hey, everyone not listen so that this can't be clipped for me. And then has a side discussion saying, I think the Packers are finally not that good. You know, he's saying that kind of stuff. And then he tweeted it out today. He's like, I think the Packers are not that good. That's a damn shame. Like, I think we have finally hit that point where the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is, is more specifically he can't do what you just discussed. He can't really elevate players around him enough anymore to kind of fill the voids or gaps that's being created with the lack of talent put around him. And this is basically the issue that the GM and honestly lack of owner being established or billionaire owner being there has created for the Packers. Like they always draft defense and that defense on paper, looks really good. But then they just allowed, as you put it, I believe it was 27, 27 points to the Jets. The Zach Wilson-led Jets. Again, I'm not hating on them. They got good things going. I mean, you got Garrett Wilson. You got Bryce Hall. Or Bryce Hall. Brees Hall. Um, it's, it's a late time right now. I just want to give full transparency to everyone here. But they did a good job with the, the Jets, that is. But all these draft picks that they've spent on the defense aren't paying as many dividends as I think they hoped. And on top of that have created this issue of lack of elite talent. We'll call it around Aaron Rodgers. Whereas now Aaron Rodgers can't, you know, elevate the James Jones or whatever is out there on the perimeter to be his receiving weapon. So Devonte Adams is gone. Yes. That void is there. As you pointed out, Alan Lazard being your number one receiver is kind of a problem, but now Aaron Rodgers can't really elevate things, and that brings other defenses up and not really have to respect the run as much as I think they hoped going into this year. And Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon aren't able to be as effective as they probably hoped 
to be with the lack of talent out wide. So it's really, I think that game was highlighted. And I think the majority of it, smaller, large majority of it was on Aaron Rodgers looking to be finally on that downhill. I, and again, it, it kind of like, it's, in, it's funny. As I said that it popped in my head, like when everyone was like, it's Brady finally done when he lost in Kansas city and they were two and two and it was a disaster. And we all know what pretty much happened after that point. Uh, the Patriots went on to win multiple super bowls after that, but it does feel like we're at that point with Rogers only because I do think his focus is on other things. Also, I don't think he's as fully committed to everything. You know, he gets his weekly appearances on the McAfee show. He did this stuff with jeopardy. He's kind of a little bit of a chained person. It seems like in the past few years, if you listen to him, he's open to doing media stuff. He did things with big cat and individuals that have called him out through media outlets that in the past he would have never done. I think Aaron Rodgers has kind of changed who he is as a person, and maybe that has pulled naturally, and I'm not trying to discredit him, but it, maybe it just has pulled his fire and his desire to really be that top-tier guy that he once was, and then age has caught up to him as well, right? It's just the combination of those things, he's not able to do what he needs to do. So again, no discredit to the Jets. Good for them again in the win and now being a standalone second place in the AFC East. Who saw that one coming? this early in the season, I will say, but uh, the Packers look like a problem and, and we might be in a situation here and I'm, we're going to discuss it on an episode next week, but we might be in a situation here where the Packers aren't as nearly as good as we thought they were. And the bills now, because of that could be in a situation where they are no longer ever anything less than a touchdown favorite moving forward, because that team we just saw against the jets, I cannot believe in any world comes to orchard park and whoop beats the bills. I just don't see how that happens. The Jets are the one team in the AFC East I do not hate. I mean, that could change if they prove to be really good. Uh, we have a mutual friend who's a Jets fan, so, you know, we we don't like seeing people suffer. So if the Jets are doing well, you know, we're at least happy for him. Zach Wilson, 110 yards today. So Brees Hall looks like an absolute stud. Um, but the Packers did not get help on the out-of-town scoreboard as the Minnesota Vikings went to Miami and did the Bills a favor and the rest of the AFC East and made short work of the Dolphins, 24-16. to 16. The Vikings get the win and prove to 5-1. and one. The Dolphins fall to 3-3. Three and three. They have lost three in a row since winning their Super Bowl against the Bills in Week 3. The good news for the Dolphins is Tua is projected to come back next week out of concussion protocol. And then the New England Patriots go to Cleveland and absolutely pound the Browns 38-15. to 15. Luca, it's Bailey Zappi time in New England. Um, I wish we clipped it, stuff like that. If you want it, people, everyone <laughs> go back an episode or two. This may have been something I brought up. Then we even saw it in the media where they asked Belichick about this and he didn't exactly deny the thought that maybe that has crept in his head of Bailey Zappi being the guy. But the facts are this an offense that could not really move the ball effectively at all with Mac Jones at the helm has now been the same exact thing with Bailey Zappi. And is doing good things for them, plain and simple. So if Bill Belichick's looking at this and has also benched a, you know, just got paid first round talent quarterback in Bledsoe for a guy like Brady, yep. um, he probably is not exactly afraid to try that again because the results, <laughs> we all know the results of that move in the past. And I'm not saying Bailey Zappi is about to be the next Brady, but it's all about wins. Like, especially a guy like Bill Belichick, like 
you're you're here to win. And if Bailey Zappi is going to get you your results that Mac Jones wasn't, I'm sorry, Mac. Clearly, it's just not going to happen with you. And Bailey Zappi is making it happen and just grabbing the bull by the horns and just, just like it's not like he's overly impressive. He's just doing a great job with what he's provided and what's being given to him. Like it's it's look, shout out Bailey Zappi, man. One yeah. awesome name. Two great. Great on you for having not even a real offensive coordinator with nothing dynamic around you and you're winning games and winning on like the road against Cleveland, who has a pretty damn good defense. Let's everyone remember that they have a pretty good defense. But those Browns also, let's just point out here, um, they've only beaten the Panthers, which, well, the Panthers. And then they somehow beat the Bengals on a Thursday night. Steelers. That is the only two games. that. Oh, sorry. Steelers. Thank you so much. I knew it was a divisional game. I forgot the opponent. Yes, Steelers. They beat the Steelers on a Thursday night. That is it. This team, on paper yet again, should have been able to do more things. Chubb couldn't get in the end zone. And then this defense couldn't stop the Bailey Zappi-led Patriots. Oof. Also, Dolphins fans, you got what you're, you know, you get what you got coming. 0-3 since the Bills Super Bowl, you know, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. Suck it, suck it, suck it. Um, Tua, you did say is slated to come back. Speaking of Steelers, it sounds like he's going to be back Sunday night. Everyone's going to be able to watch Tua versus, I guess, maybe Pickett, probably Trubisky. We don't know what's going on there. It'll be Trubisky. Yeah, it's probably Trubisky, especially with how everyone's handling stuff now. Right. Exactly. uh, Yeah. Um, Have fun with that one because the Steelers, and I I don't mean to steal Josh's thunder because he might have shot this one out, but the Steelers just beat the Bucks at home. So, Boy, does that game uh, sound a little bit weirder and more interesting now with because I remember everyone was asking last point here. I I, I don't mean to ramble on no, it, around the league thing, but the Dolphins Steelers game should probably have been moved out based on how those teams are trending. NBC kind of stuck to their guns and they kept it. And now two is projected to come back. You have an interesting dynamic with the Steelers beating the Bucks, And now all of a sudden, after getting blown out in Buffalo, they beat the Bucks, and it's like, eh, maybe the Steelers team can do something. Keep in mind, that's the first time the Steelers have ever won without TJ Watt. Ever. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But I'm, it feels like it. Okay? That's all I'll say. They don't win without TJ Watt. They just did it. And now you're going to have Tua coming back after a few weeks off. And, um, yeah, the, the Dolphins could find themselves three and four after next week as the Bills come back from the bye. And, boy, is that just music to these years. That would be fun. So one thing I will say is the reason why I'm very confident it'll be Trubisky is it sure feels like, and Field Yates talked about this on his uh, fantasy football podcast on ESPN, that it sure feels like there's like an overcorrection from teams now to be like extra cautious with concussions. You saw that maybe a little bit last week with Isaiah McKenzie, where it felt like maybe he would have cleared protocols prior to the world we lived in before the Tua injury. But I just find it hard to believe, especially in a game against the Dolphins, you know, where it's going to be a front line center story to a coming back Do the Steelers really want to put themselves in a situation where they're rushing their rookie quarterback back out there after a concussion. Luca's other point is maybe the Steelers aren't that bad. Huge blowout win by the Bills last week. And we were all like, oh, wow, the Steelers are awful. The other team, the Bills have blown out this year. The Titans, they've recovered well since that game. It's it's possible the Bills are just that good that they can embarrass decent teams. We shall see. We're not going to go over the entire out-of-town scoreboard. We respect the fact that you probably have Google and ESPN. One other game I do want to talk about, though, is Brian Dable's New York Giants improving to 4-1 and one with a 24-20 to 20 victory 
over the Baltimore Ravens. Good for Brian Dayball. From the Bills standpoint, though, the Ravens, I think, were universally considered to be that third team in the AFC where it's Bills, Chiefs, who's the third team, the Ravens. The Bills now have the head-to-head victory over the Ravens, and the Ravens are falling to 3-3 and now. The Bills have a very comfortable lead over Baltimore as it comes to the playoffs. Another team that people thought was going to be pretty good this year hasn't happened so far. They get in the win column today. The Bengals, 30-26 to over the Saints. And in general, if you're a fan of underdogs like I know my partner is, we won't get into that, um, this was a good day on the scoreboard as a bunch of underdogs got victories. The biggest one, of course, being the Steelers beating the Buccaneers at home that Luca mentioned earlier. Sunday night football, the Eagles improved to 6-0 with a 26-17 victory over those Dallas Cowboys. And um, maybe future Buffalo Bill Christian McCaffrey's Panthers lost today 24-10 to the Rams. We will talk much more about that on next week's episode. Luca, my voice is tapping out. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about on the out-of-town scoreboard before we get out of here? No, we don't need to bring up any other games that happen around the league that may have been washed, may or may not have. We don't have to bring up anything else. I love the Christian McCaffrey possible super uh, future Buffalo Bill plug. Great way to get in a horrible game that was Panthers and Rams. Um, No, it was a fun Sunday. Uh, Obviously capped off with a beautiful Bills win over the Chiefs. Um, Burrow Chase returning to New Orleans and ruining an underdog that, as you pointed out, <laughs> it screwed both underdog money line and underdog spreads. Just want to point that out. That was the worst beat I had today. Um, shout out me and losing. shout out me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it was a fun slate of football. Overall, underdogs did finish great. This was a perfect day. This was a fun day of football, Josh. I want to wrap it up here. I know your voice is killing you and everything's going on there. Um, I was right, by the way, uh, Steelers were winless without TJ Watt all time yeah. until today. Yeah. So that is just like, I th- I was questioning it for a second. I had to look it up while you were talking. Unbelievable. Good for the Steelers. Hey, they got over the TJ Watt curse. Good for them. Um, yeah, no, just fun day of football overall. So pumped about the bills winning and yeah, the Ravens going to three and three, one kill Saquon coming to the bills. Look, people like the giants might be legit. Brian Dayball. You're awesome. Love you. Wish you went to Arizona a year prior. Uh, whatever. So Baltimore is going to be the three spot still probably, but uh, that basically shows why Kansas City and the Bills are just way above everyone else, people. Like, it's just the way it is in the AFC. You got the Bills, the Chiefs right there, and then everybody else. That's just how it works in the AFC currently in this NFL landscape. Let's play a quick game, Luca. There oh. are three teams in the AFC with a better record than everybody else. The five and one Bills, the only five and one team in the AFC. There are two teams that are four and two. One is the Kansas City Chiefs, who the Bills beat today. Quickly, can you name the other four and two team? Oh, that's the Jets. The Jets, the Jets are the other four and two team. What it's, is it's this insane. world? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, technically the Jets right now are sitting in that five spot wild card. Could you imagine the Jets? So I'm trying to think. So Baltimore, uh, is Baltimore still winning the AFC? They're on North top State? because they have head-to-head over Cincinnati. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they're three. So that means four right now is the lowly Colts. So no, three. So technically the Titans are three because uh, they didn't play this week. They're three and two. So right now, if that's what it is. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. If the playoffs started <laughs> today, <laughs> the Bills would be the one seed. The Chiefs would be the two seed. Titans at three, 
Ravens at four, Jets going to Baltimore, the five seed Jets. Let's go, Jets. And oh. then we would have the six seed Colts at three, two, and one going to Tennessee. And then we would have the seven seed for now, Chargers, who are three and two. They still have to play tomorrow night against the Broncos going to Kansas City while the Bills kick back and enjoy wild card weekend without any sweat. Sign me up. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my God. So can we just, if Jets Ravens happens in the playoffs, that is the Ryan bowl, right? Like that's, that's what it is. Rex Ryan doing the opening coin toss. Oh my goodness. Just how how wonderful. Like how, how would he be able to decide who he's rooting for? I mean, would he go jets? Would he go Ravens? I don't know. Just word of advice to the cheerleaders. Make sure you're wearing shoes. Oh, oh, geez. Hey, Rex Ryan embraces it, people. If you think we're making fun of him and he doesn't, he loves it. Dr. Scholl's, you know, sponsorship and all. He embraces that, you know, thing that he has. Um, Man, what an NFL landscape we live in right now that the Jets are the five seed currently and one of two four and two teams. Although it seems like the Chargers will join them tomorrow or tonight if you're listening to this on Monday. Um, But I'm excited. I'm excited to go on a bye week, people. Like this was... Josh, was this not a stressful opening six or five? Uh, what are we at now? Sorry, six weeks Man. of football here. It's just been a lot. Like, it feels like we've already gone through three months of football. Yeah, it's, because it's, every one of these weeks have been insane. It's been so intense, like obviously the opener. And then the second game, you're just like, was the opener real? Are they this good? Tennessee's desperate. And the huge, you know, the drama against Miami. And then obviously the Ravens game was dramatic. And I feel like the Steelers game was kind of a let up. Like I, I, most people probably knew the bills were going to win that game. Maybe like, Hey, Tom, one come up with something. The Steelers game was like the one, like I'm going to relax. I'm not going to stress out over every player that's hurt may not play. And then this game was like right back into it. Like, Oh my God, who's playing. So yeah, I need a buy just as bad as the bills do. I got to rest and relax, get my voice back. Obviously I blame Taron Johnson for that. And then, yeah, next week on the show, we'll be joined by Stokes, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. The one seed, maybe we'll get a little bit more back into Allen against Mahomes. We'll talk about how this season has gone so far, expectation for the back half of the season. We'll preview the Packers game, I'm sure. We'll talk about what's going on around the league. Do we think the Bills could make a big move for a feature running back? Or is there another position that stands out to us that the Bills could make a move for? Because I do think, the Bills have the appetite to dip their toe in the trade market. Sorry, Rex Ryan, dip their toe and and try to improve this team. If there was ever a moment for the Bills to quote unquote go for it, I think this might be the year and I think we're going to see something happen or at least I think Brandon Bean is going to turn over every leaf. We look forward to that. We very much look forward to what's coming up the rest of this week on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. Um, Luca and I might be making a special guest appearance on a podcast coming up on the network later this week, so you're not quite done with this yet. Stay tuned for that. And then Luca and I will be back bright and early next Monday morning with a special bi-week edition of Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast.